Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. And as we're, we're thinking of this, it seemed like, well, maybe we should have this conversation now so that we can then put this into practice when we have the rest of our worship time. Let's, let's be uh, practical here. And sometimes it's, it's easy for us to, to receive what we receive on a Sunday morning from God's word and, and go out into our everyday life, the, the life that is full of distractions, <laughs> the life that is full of the things that, that can sometimes get in the way, and, and we can forget to apply the things that, that we've learned. And so last week we talked about the importance of the fact that we are praying to our Father. And in Romans 8.15, there's this, this scripture that we referenced where, where it's, it's specifically calling out to the, the fatherhood of God. The Apostle Paul is addressing this in Romans 8.15, and he says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And I know that we touched on this last week, but it is so vitally important that we, we start with this baseline of, of recognizing that we are children of God because without that baseline, without that knowledge, that not just knowledge, without that firmly held belief, then what good is the rest of what we're going to talk about? If, if we are here to say that God's name is holy, what good does it do for us to say that if if we don't really believe, truly believe, right here in your guts, believe that he's also your father. And so as, as a result of, of God working this miracle within us that, that brings us to a place of being able to call ourselves children of God, we, we aren't just exchanging one set of circumstances for another, one posture of religious beliefs for another. But there's, in fact, a, a divine transaction, a trade that takes place here, where the, a trade that is of eternal significance. It is eternal in its spiritual implications. It is life-transforming. And so the question that we have to ask before we go any further this morning, is God my father? Do I know, do I really, really know that God is my father? When I sing the, the songs that are talking about God being a good, good father, right? We, we sing that song. Does the Spirit of God reach into my heart and assure me that despite all of the mistakes that I've made, despite all of the, the stuff that exists in my life, at the, the very center of my life is God as Father? And so the question that we ask this morning is what is in a name? 
If we went to the, the average person on the street and we asked them to write down, hallowed be your name on a piece of paper, and we asked them, what does this mean? Uh-uh. Maybe they've heard it before. The, the Lord's Prayer is maybe well enough known to where people would be able to point to that and say, well, I, I think it's in the Bible somewhere, right? But the, the fact of the matter is, is if we read scriptures like Psalm 138, it says, you have, exalt, you have been exalted above all things. Excuse me, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. When we see that his name and his word have been exalted above all things, we have this opportunity to remind ourselves that God's name is to be hallowed and nobody else's. God's name is to be holy, not mine. God's name is the one that is of ultimate significance. And it's God's word that reveals to us the nature of his name. Why is this important? Why do we care? Why why is this significant? Because God's name stands for God himself. And when we think of God's name, you can't help but think about God, right? You can't think of a name in isolation of, of the person that you're thinking about. If I, if I think of, if I hear the name Kaylee, I automatically associate that to my wife, even if it's a totally different Kaylee. I immediately think of my wife because I I associate that name to a person. And so when I hear the name of God, you can't help but associate that to, to the attributes of God. And so it's, it's through the disclosure, through God's word, that we, we learn who God is and what his name means. And, and if we look through scripture, there are multiple names of God because God has, has various facets to who he is. If we look through the Bible, there's, there's a lot of different names, and we're not going to go through all of them today. But if we look, there's, there's the Lord is El Elyon, there's the Lord is Jehovah Tiskinu, there's Jehovah Nisi, my banner, my provider. All of these different names of God, and, and they all refer to different aspects of God. How do we know this? We know this because God has made his name available to us. When Moses goes out into the wilderness and he cries out to God, he says, who is like you, who is like unto you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, and working wonders? One of the the reasons that it's difficult for us to, to really place importance on the fact that God's name is there, is in his word for us, is because in Western culture, we, we don't place as much importance. We don't place as much emphasis on names. 
We tend to use names really just as a way to, to distinguish between one person and another, right? When I call down from upstairs, Eve, make your bed. Really, I'm not putting a whole lot of emphasis into the name that I, I'm calling out. Really, all I'm doing is, is making sure that the person that I want that bed fixed is the person that actually goes to do it. That, that's all that that interaction involves. But if you look at, at uh, societies like China, like, like the, the Middle East, if we, we look in Asia and all of these different g- countries, we see that, that there is a much more biblical framework to how names are, are given. In Africa, the, the same thing is true. If we go to, to Nigeria or Ghana and you, you meet people from the Ivory Coast, you see that, that it, it matters what they're called. There, there's meaning behind what they've been called. And, and you're not to overuse their name. Their name is to, to be protected. And as you start thinking about the, the implications of this, as you start thinking about the fact, well, God is, is infinite. I can't limit God by the names that I can pronounce. I can't limit God by the pages in the Bible. So, so we cannot really, in a sense, name perfectly who and what God is. If we look at Judges 13, there's this interesting interaction that happens with Manoah, who becomes the father of Samson. And in this, we have the, the birth of Samson being announced by, by a the, theophany, is what it's called, where it's the, the pre-incarnate revelation of God. This, this revelation of God comes and actually speaks to Manoah. And in this encounter that Manoah has with God, he says, what is your name? Seems like a pretty decent question when somebody shows up and appears to be God. You you want to know who this person is, right? And, And what does the angel say? Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. No name can convey the totality of God. When you think about that, it, it, it does kind of bring up this idea of when Moses is in the wilderness and he's in front of the burning bush and, and God is telling him, go rescue my people from Egypt. Go, go release them from bondage, from captivity. And he says, who am I supposed to say sent me? And God says, I am. Tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. It's kind of an interesting name. How do we we understand, how can we wrap our, our heads around someone who is able to speak themselves into existence? They can say, I am. Before all things, I am. Before that, that hardship that you were facing this morning, he was. Before the, the difficulty that you know is coming your way tomorrow, he is. 
As the the craftsman makes an idol out of gold or wood or stone and they nail it to to a pedestal that eventually gets knocked over. It's not. But when we think in terms of the creator, when we think in terms of the God who made the ends of the earth, it is justifiable, it is right, it is accurate that he should be called, I am. God did not have a creation. He is completely self-existent. He is self-fulfilled. He is in need of no one. He is in need of nothing. He sustains the whole universe by the word of his power. As it was in the beginning with him, so it is now, and so it will be forever. And so the, the first point of application for us this morning is we must hallow God's name with our words. If we flip upside down and we look at Exodus, let's see, Exodus 20, verse 7, there's, it's the Ten Commandments, right? And the third commandment says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Because the God's name is Holy. And the Jewish mind understood this. They, they know what it means to, to treat the, the name of God as holy. If you see in Jewish writing, typically uh, the, the name that they use to describe God is Yahweh, but they don't put any, any vowels when they're spelling it. They'll, they'll either leave blanks or they'll just take all the vowels and just use the consonants. And why do you do that? Because you can't say something that doesn't have any vowels. Try it. <laughs> you can't. Unless it's like some weird nasally like throat sound. But even that, I don't think you could. Without vowels, vowels, it's impronounceable. Because it wasn't supposed to be pronounced. The name of God was not to be taken lightly. It wasn't something that was to be pronounced. They weren't going to take the name of God onto their lips in a way that was superficial in a a way that that devalued who it was they were talking about. And so in the Old Testament, vowels have been added so that we can actually pronounce the name of God. So it becomes Yahweh or Jehovah. And when you take this framework, when you take that mindset, which is absolutely true, we should still be valuing the name of God. Now, that's not to say we can't write it down. Let's, you know, we we understand this, but this is a good lens for us to look through. How are we treating the name of God today? Let's set aside the, the obvious ones. Oh, my God. Did you see what just happened on the football game? God damn it. So let's set aside those because we know. Let's set aside the, the equally stupid remarks of God, help me make this free throw. 
The fact of the matter is these specific comments are blasphemous to the name of God. But how, how about this? What, what other ways are we tempted to invoke the, the name of God? Maybe we, we use the name of God to explain something that's very convenient for us. We use the name, God told me that I need to go marry this person. God told me that I need to move to this place. God told me that I needed to take this job. God told me that you needed to give me some money. God told me, you must, I must, we must be careful when we say that God said. The only time that we can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that God said is when it comes from that book, when it comes from the word of God. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't speak to us. I 100% know and believe and have experienced that he speaks. But my goodness, do we need to be careful. Beware of the phrase God said. Another way that we can fail to hallow the the name of God is when we use it to illegitimately impress somebody else. If we look back in another Old Testament example, there's Jacob and Esau, and we we know the story here, and if you don't, go back and take a look. It's in uh, Exodus, I believe. Um, No, Genesis, excuse me. And so go back and and look at that story, and and it's the, the process of, Jacob and Esau trying to vie for the birthright from Isaac. Esau was the older brother. He was supposed to receive that birthright. And and Isaac says, go out and and catch some meat. Make me a stew. And when you come back, we're going to talk about your blessing. And so he goes out. And as he's doing that, his brother, Jacob, with help from his mother, deceives Isaac into giving the blessing, giving the birthright to him. And, and there's one specific phrase that I want to call out here and, and try for just a second to take this out of the, the context of the time and to think about how easy it would be for us to do this ourselves. The, and so the father sits up and asks the question, how did you find the game so quickly, my son? How did you get back here so fast? And, and what is Jacob's reply? The Lord your God gave me success. The Lord your God gave me success. Jacob chooses to abuse the name of God to further his deception, to, to achieve something that he wanted for himself. The, the next point of application is we're to hallow the name of God in our worship. True worship. And I need to put a disclaimer out here. <laughs> it is going to sound a little self-serving when the person that's up here leading worship is also the person that's talking to you about what it means to be a good worshiper. I don't know how to get around that. Until we get some more volunteers, this is what we get to deal with. <laughs> so please hear my heart here. This is not me saying, hey, I want, I want something better for myself. This is, I, I want to change my heart into being a better worshiper. I want to be a worshiper that hallows the name of God. 
True worship is focused on God, not on ourselves. The true test of worship is not whether it pleases me, but it's whether it pleases God. What a major revolution it would be if we showed up to worship. And maybe you're already doing this, and if so, that's awesome. But what a major revolution it would be if if we showed up to worship with our primary thought being, oh God, I hope that you will be pleased as a result of us gathering here this morning. I hope that you will be pleased with what you hear from me this morning, with with what I come to offer and to present to you this morning. Whether I'm actually pleased or not is is secondary or tertiary to, to this relationship because I realize that the whole reason for my existence is to come and to bring worship to a God who is worthy of praise. What if that was the heart that that we came with? I'm going to ask a question, and I don't want you to answer. As you drove to worship this morning, was that the kind of thought that was in your mind? Was it the kind of thought that was in my mind? As you got ready to to join us from home or from wherever you're at, was that the, the question that was on your mind? If we're honest Maybe not. Maybe some of the questions went like, well, I hope this is good. I hope we we sing some songs that I actually want to sing this time. Man, I hope Matt doesn't take so long to get through his first point this morning. I hope that I can actually understand what on earth he's talking about. I I sure hope the lighting works right. I hope the music's not so loud. I I wish that that it would just work the, the way that it's most comfortable for me. Do you see how this is so easy to do? It's so easy for me to do that. It is so easy for me to show up on a Sunday morning and, and just think of all of the different components that we have going on. And man, I sure hope that my piano works the way it's supposed to. I sure hope the words show up on the screen in the right order. I sure hope that the streaming doesn't come up with a black screen like it did this morning. I sure hope that I can get the audio transmitter to work, that my microphone works. I sure hope all of these things happen, but the fact of the matter is none of that matters. God, I hope that you are pleased with the worship that you received this morning. I hope you are pleased with the this praise that I bring. If that was our approach, if that was the, the process that we went through, if that was the, the song of our heart, think of the nonsense that this would clear up. Think of the insanity that would go away, the the travesty that we see in the behavior of of people jumping from church to church to church because they don't like the worship that's happening at one location. They, They don't like the way the lights work at this other location. They don't like the fog machine that's happening at this other church. We don't have a fog machine. Everybody calm down.
What if the question truly became not what pleases me, but is this worship pleasing to God? If I am the end of worship, then I have the legitimate right to ask and to have input and to to have a desire for, for what pleases me. But since I am not the end of worship, God is the end of worship. It only matters what he has to say. I may not come to church and worship with a liturgical format, but I could. I don't routinely show up to church and start reciting the Apostles' Creed religiously every single Sunday morning, but I could. I enjoy the the presence of instrumentation on stage where where I get to play and we get to to have songs that, that include musical instruments, but there are churches that don't. Could I worship there? You bet I could. There there are churches that feel that the presence of any instrument, of anything other than singing the psalm, is a a direct contradiction to the Bible. That's not my understanding, but I can worship there. Why? Because my purpose is to proclaim the name of God. My purpose is to proclaim the greatness of God. Whether that involves a piano, whether it involves singing a hymn, singing a psalm, singing the latest song from Chris Tomlin, I will proclaim the name of God. What does it take to be a worshiper? You have to be alive. You can't worship when you're dead. Okay, so we got that. If you don't know that that God is your father, why would you praise him? If you don't know that you serve a God who has conquered sin and death in the grave to claim you as his own child, why would you praise him? You have to know that to bring praise. This one's gonna be sensitive. If you're not a singer, you're not a worshiper. You can sing, you can lift your voice, and I'm not saying it's gonna sound great. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I'm feeling. Honestly, it doesn't really matter what you think either. It matters what God has to say. Dead people don't sing. We need to be spiritually alive. We need to be spiritually assisted. You aren't going to want to open your mouth and praise the name of God if the spirit within you isn't crying out. It's not our natural instinct to show up and just start singing, at least for most of us. Eve was singing about Captain America this week, and it was pretty great. (laughs) So I need to be spiritually alive. I need to be spiritually assisted I need to be spiritually active. 
I have to actually show up and, and use my tongue, use my voice to bring praise to God. That's, that is what worship is. That's what we're doing. And, and so often it is tempting to say, well, we don't need to get here on time for worship. And it's okay for me to say this because I put worship at the very end so nobody was late. I don't need to get here on time for worship. It's that, that's just the bonus. I just need to get here so I can hear the sermon. No, the worship is what prepares your heart. Again, the question is not whether or not you enjoyed worship this morning. The question is whether or not God did. The, the final focus for us this morning is hallowing God's name in our witness. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name in my worship. Hallowed be your name in the words that I say. Hallowed be your name in the witness that I have with those that I come in contact with. What is the principal motivation for telling other people about Jesus? The reason we tell other people about Jesus is because we are to be hallowing God's name. When we proclaim the gospel, we are proclaiming God's name before the nations. We are saying this is who God is. Evangelism, the, the process of sharing the gospel with, with people that haven't heard it, is not the end goal. The end goal of evangelism is not to just get people to show up in the church building. It's like, wow, whew, we did it. The end goal of evangelism is to create worshipers. Psalm 42 through 3 says, He took us from the miry clay. He put our feet on solid rock and established our going. And he put a new song in our mouths, a song of praise to God. That is what the actual conversion looks like of someone who does not have a relationship with God being transplanted into the family of God, becoming a child of God, and now becoming a worshiper of God because of where they have come from. The real objective of evangelism, the real objective is not that people would be converted, but it's that God would be glorified. So this morning as we, we pivot, as we, we kind of tackle this service from a totally different direction as we move into a time of proclaiming God's holiness. Let's think about what it is that we are doing this morning. Think about the words that we are saying. I encourage you, maybe if you're not comfortable singing, maybe this is the time to start singing. I don't care if I hear you or not. The person next to you doesn't matter if they care if they hear you or not. Because this is a time that's between you and God. This is a time where it doesn't matter how you feel, it matters how God feels at the end of this. And so the opportunity that we have this morning is to proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So as we move to this time, I invite you to join with me as we praise the Lord. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 